0: If you'll open your copy of God's Word to Genesis 21. We've got a passage today that is not one of those blockbuster passages. It is definitely not one that I would choose to preach on were we not in a series working our way through passage by passage. And I wouldn't skip over it because the subject matter is problematic, but honestly because the subject matter is, how can I put this delicately, it's just boring. At first blush it's a bit of a yawn. And I would love to tell you that well after having spent a week Chewing on it and digging in and reading, pondering that that my eyes were opened and my jaw dropped and the light bulb went on, and now I just think it's so filled with especially profound things. I would love to tell you that. But in reality, after a week of chewing on this passage, it is just as ordinary and not exciting as it was on Monday morning. But I've realized that's okay. It's okay that this passage is boring for multiple reasons, actually. Uh, One of which, the main one, I guess, is just because of how stubborn I am. How hard-headed I am when it comes to the usefulness and the benefit of Scripture that we've been promised in Scripture. Uh, That for whatever portion of Scripture we would come to, to encounter to read, to study, to preach. there's benefit. there's usefulness. I mentioned last week the, the infallibility of God's Word, the, the efficacy of it. it. It always accomplishes what God intends. It never returns void. Well, we're also promised that this word has miraculous power, right Hebrews 4:12. It's a double-edged sword. It cuts us open. It penetrates our hearts. 2 Timothy 3, it is useful. All of it. All of it is useful. It's inspired. And just as Jesus boldly claimed on the Emmaus Road with his disciples recorded there in Luke 24, ultimately, it's all about him. Ultimately, somehow, this boring passage points us to him. And so based on all of that, I'm pretty stubborn about the fact that even a boring passage like this can be useful to us. And so we're going to look at it instead of skipping over it to the next chapter. Which, by the way, the next chapter is a blockbuster chapter. It is very, very exciting. The other reason that I'm okay with this just being a plain, ordinary, unexciting passage is that it's actually very fitting theologically for what's going on in the passage. A plain, ordinary passage that demonstrates a plain, ordinary process that happens in the life of the Christian. as I was mulling over this passage this week, the, the, the phrase, the expression kept coming into my mind about not despising the day of small beginnings. Have you, have you heard that? I, I was trying to place it. I was trying to remember now, how exactly does that go and where is that from? Well, uh, imagine my embarrassment when I googled it. It was like, oh yeah, <laughs> it's in the Bible. <laughs> it's from the prophet Zechariah. Um, I'm cautious about things like that, because, you know, there's a lot of times that people think things are in the Bible, right? God helps those who help themselves, and cleanliness is next to godliness, which ought to be in the Bible, but it's not. But this actually was in the Bible. It actually is not despising small things, not despising the day of small beginnings. And that's what we're looking at this morning. The focus this morning is not despising a rather small and boring passage, nor the small beginnings of the process that we find in the passage. Stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's word, Genesis 21, verses 22 through 34. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me and I've not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba, because they because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his inspired, inerrant, infallible, an authoritative word. We've already prayed for the help that we needed, so please be seated. I want to look at this passage under two main headings. Abimelech's faith and then Abraham's faith. Now, does that first heading strike you as a little bit odd? The faith of Abimelech? Hmm. Well, honestly, we don't know whether or not Abimelech has faith in the Lord God himself or not. It seems from what we've seen so far that he at least has a decent fear of the Lord. Ironically so, because remember, Abraham judged him in advance and said, hey, there's no way there could be any fear of the Lord in this place. Well, he was wrong. The reality is that it seemed that they did in fact fear the Lord and that they do in fact for the Lord, so we don't know to what extent Abimelech's faith might have been saving faith, but we do at least see his faith in the fact that Abraham's God is being awfully faithful to Abraham. The very first verse here, pretty astute observation that Abimelech makes, "God is with you. In, in everything that you do, He is with you." I can tell. That's what Abimelech has deduced from all that's happening. There's there's been quite a buzz around Abraham. People are probably still talking about how he miraculously defeated that coalition of kings back in chapter 14. I don't think Abimelech will ever forget Abraham's God showing up in his dream saying, you're a dead man because you've taken Sarah into your harem. And now there's been this miraculous birth. Everybody's talking about this ridiculously old couple, and they had a baby. And if it weren't for all that, just the sheer size of Abraham's entourage. How many men must Abraham have with him if Abimelech feels the need to bring the commander of his army with him when he goes to talk to him? Must be a considerably large group of folks. And Abimelech is impressed by all of this. Now, it's remarkable, too, that his being impressed seems to be pretty accurately directed, if you will. He he doesn't say, Oh, Abraham, how great you are. No, he says, uh, You've got a God who is with you. It's clear. And Abimelech's a pretty smart dude, and he does not want to get on the wrong side of things with Abraham's very present and apparently capable God. And that's what has him approaching this non-citizen dwelling in his land, saying, Hey, um, could we be friends? Would that be okay? I think it would be a good idea if you and I were friends. That's that's highly unusual for the leader of a land to come to some immigrant saying, I think I really need to be your friend. Would you promise to be my friend? Usually it's the the leader of the nation, the one with the upper hand, who would just come and would impose and and, and assert his will on whoever happened to be in his land. But Abimelech finds himself in an interesting situation, does he not? Because of God's presence and his help with everything that Abraham is doing. He knows he can't just push him around, but he also knows that he needs to do something to protect himself. So he's respectful of God on the one hand, but he's also still suspicious of Abraham, right? Suspicious of Abraham because of what Abraham's done to him in the past. You see that request very clearly, verse 23, don't deal falsely with me, please, like you have before. Remember? After Abraham and Sarah deceived him, oh, she's my sister. Abimelech says, deal kindly with me like I dealt kindly with you. And it was kind indeed, because once that lie was exposed, unlike Pharaoh, who said, get out now, go. Abimelech says, hey, take your pick, dwell wherever you like. And he gave him all kinds of gifts and an obscene amount of money. And so Abimelech says, I've been kind to you. Will you do the same for me and for the people who live in my land. And it's in his request that we get a big hint at how how big and how robust Abimelech's faith actually is. He's not just asking for himself, he's asking for his descendants and his posterity. Now, what does that tell us? And this is actually where the real faith comes in. Because everything else he's been able to see and observe with his own eyes, all the success, all, all the wealth everything the goodness of God to Abraham that's been very obvious but it's faith especially for Abimelech to say I see that goodness and I believe that that goodness is going to continue I believe your God is going to keep being good to you and to your offspring and to your offspring's offspring which is what has been promised right Abraham just seems to be a little slower than Abimelech at concluding all of that. That's what makes Abimelech's faith pretty impressive, I think. Now, what about Abraham's faith? In some ways, Abraham's faith hasn't risen yet to the level of Abimelech's. Abimelech seems to have a better grasp on the future faithfulness of God to keep his promises to Abraham than even Abraham does. But, on a positive note, I do think that we've got a few clues here that Abraham's faith is indeed growing. Maybe painfully slowly, but growing nonetheless. Now remember, this is not a blockbuster passage. It's just a plain, ordinary, non-exciting passage, which I would argue... Is what 99% of our growth following the Lord is like. Plain, ordinary, non exciting. When people are first converted, sometimes you've got some pretty remarkable changes, like overnight instant changes. Uh, dramatic changes in lifestyle. Some of you have experienced that when, when Jesus first got a hold of you. Old habits and addictions, instantly broken. That happens with some people, and that's wonderful when it does. But then for everyone, regardless of how dramatic the beginning may have be, been, for everyone, the rest of the story, th- the rest of the journey, is usually very, very slow. And undramatic, uh, the, the change, the, the growth—it's usually not instant. It comes very gradually, sometimes imperceptibly. So you don't—you don't even realize that it's happened until you stop and look back, probably over a long period of time, and say, "Oh, how about that? Maybe I." Maybe I really have changed. Maybe God really has changed me. I I can see just a little bit of it. We ought not despise the day of small beginnings and small things, small changes, small amounts of growth in our lives. I, I think that we might see that slow, gradual growth here with Abraham. Let me explain how. He agrees to Abimelech's request. Let's be friends. Let's be nice to each other. He says, okay, I'm, I will. And then he has a beef with Abimelech. Your people, they took a well that I dug. They took our water. Now, that might seem like a minor thing to quibble over. But in the arid desert climate in which they lived, taking someone's source of water... That's basically attempted murder. W- water is life. Uh, Abimelech was very generous with his offer of, hey, live anywhere you like. Take your pick." But having someplace to live is meaningless if you don't have life-giving water. So it's a serious problem. And apparently, it's been going on for some time, and Abraham just hasn't gotten up the gumption yet to say anything about it. We, we kind of get that from the excuses in verse 26 that Abimelech gives. I, I don't know who did this. You should have told me. I'm just finding out about this today, which kind of implies that you're saying the problem's been going on for quite some time. Now, what has happened to Abraham here is typical of what happens to nomads and sojourners. Right? When they're in a land that's not theirs, they've got no claim to stake, no rights. You're very often in a precarious position. uh, And making any kind of complaint or appeal to the locals would most often be met with indifference, maybe even hostility. Who are you? Who cares? No water? That's not my problem. Before, when Abraham has faced problems like this, No food, no air, in a dangerous looking foreign land. He hasn't dealt with those things with the most wisdom or faith, has he? He's schemed his way out or tried to. He's tried to plan or lie or plot his way. And and it, it just seems a little bit, maybe a tiny bit different this time. What what, what if, Abraham thinks, what if I just dealt directly with the problem? No scheming, no deceit, just, hey, your your people, they took the well I dug. I don't have any water. Now again, it seems he didn't do this as early as he could have when the problem first arose. It it took him a little while to get his courage up. (laughs) But do you think maybe that on the heels of hearing Abimelech's testimony about how present God is and how faithful God is being to you, you think maybe on the heels of Abraham hearing Abimelech testify to God's goodness that Abraham might have said, oh yeah, he has been good, hasn't he? He has been faithful. So maybe, if he's met me in all these other situations, maybe... He might just continue to be with me even if I confront this guy about my will. (laughs) Are you struck by how ordinary that is? (laughs) How little that is? What a small thing. Don't despise the day of small things. Sometimes your growth in faith is not going to be dramatic. It won't be this huge event. Now sometimes it will be. Sometimes we we all experience these huge crises in our lives. And the Lord meets us and and it's like a watershed event and and our faith really grew that day or that year or that season in your life. Sometimes it's a huge event. It'll be a huge event next week for Abraham. But day in and day out, Growing in your faith usually just means that you can do the next thing you need to do and believe that God's going to be with you. However boring or insignificant that next thing seems to be. Usually growing in your faith means you can do the next thing you need to do and believe that God's going to be with you the next decision you have to make, the next conversation you have to have, the next diaper you have to change, cavity you have to feel, fill, meal you need to make, growing in our faith slowly, gradually, in ordinary and non-exciting ways means usually three things, at least three things. If I'm growing in my faith, I'm realizing more and more that God is with me that He is who He said He is and that He's going to do what He said He's going to do. If I'm growing in my faith, I'm realizing more and more that God is with me. He is who He said He is and He's going to do what He said He's going to do. It's, it's so ordinary, right? And yet, it will take a lifetime for us to get that. Now, it's important to note That growing in your faith like that doesn't mean that we think the outcome is guaranteed. That doesn't mean that I think I'm necessarily and automatically and every time going to get the thing that I'm trusting God for, asking him for. Growing in faith means that even if I don't get that, I know he's going to be with me. (laughs) He's going to be who he said he is and he's going to do what he has promised in his word to do, which is never leave me, to never let the floodwaters overtake me, never let the fire consume me, all of those things. I think this is slowly but surely happening with Abraham. He, it's a very ordinary mundane thing. He just deals directly with Abimelech about this issue. Abimelech makes those excuses, but it's not a hostile response. So Abraham Presses his luck a little bit more. He, he seeks to get an official covenant made. He, he essentially wants Abimelech to do the equivalent of sign on the dotted line, guarantee his use of the well. And so he gives a large gift of animals to Abimelech, which is appropriate for the lesser party in a covenant to give tribute or honor or a gift to the greater party. But he sets aside seven of these lambs And this confuses Abimelech, and Abimelech takes the bait and says, hey, what are those for?" (laughs) Abraham says, I'm glad you asked, because you're going to take these seven, and you're taking these seven means that I dug that well and I get to use it. And Abimelech says, okay, deal. Problem solved. Abraham will always be a nomad and a sojourner in the land. But for quite some time, he will get to dwell and rest for a little bit in this area. Catch his breath from all of this journeying all over the place, from being on the go for so long. He finally gets a little bit of rest. Now here's the last little unexciting, ordinary marker, if you will, of Abraham's slow growth in his faith. Maybe it would also be a marker for us. It's in how he responds. He realizes once again, huh? what do you know? The Lord's been with me. He's been who he said he is. He's done what he said he would do. How about that? And he responds in worship. Verse 33, he plants a tree. Which, how can that be worshipful? Well, he says, I want to remember this event. I, I want to have some some... Ebenezer stone, if you will. I want, I want to have something to remember this specific occasion by. I want, I want to keep remembering the day that he helped me when I was confronting Abimelech about the well. I see, so plants this tree, says, I'm going to call on his name. I'm going to worship him openly and publicly. And he's learning a little bit more about who God is. Remember, that's one of the three parts of growing in in your faith, who God is. And, And he calls on the name of the Lord, and we've got another name here. We've had several so far in Genesis. Back in chapter 14, it was El Elyon, God Most High. In 16, with Hagar, it was El Roy, the God who sees. In 17, it was El Shaddai, God Almighty. And today, it's El Olam, God everlasting. He's been with me. And you know what? I think He's always going to be with me. He's not going to stop. We know we're growing in our faith when we naturally respond in worship to the Lord's faithful presence. We know we're growing in our faith when we connect the dots, when we consider the history of how He's always been faithful to us and we say, You know what? I think those dots are going to continue into the future. We know we're growing in our faith when we consider the greater and apply it down to the lesser. Oh, he's met me in all these huge ways and all these huge needs that I've had. I'm pretty sure he's going to meet me in the little details too. Our friend Sam Joyner brought a Such an encouraging word at the first of the year about just that from one of my very favorite verses in all of Scripture, Romans 8.32. Do you remember that message that he brought from that verse? If God didn't spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not along with Him graciously give us everything we need? If He showed up for my greatest, deepest need that I will ever have When I was standing before a holy God full of sin and rebellion and He sent His Son to be my substitute. If He met me then, how is He not also going to meet me on the day of the small things? How is He not going to keep growing my faith bit by bit, little by little, through small, ordinary, everyday things? He's going to. He's faithful and He will do it. Let's pray. God, You are good.